Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. For, further proof that when there's music covers things, uh, you know, it makes the world, uh, well, at least the world is a better place when there's time for music, you know. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence, the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks as always for making your way here and checking out the episode. I do hope you hit the subscribe button so you can keep up with all the interviews that we put out every single week. It's a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, which is a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones as well. And you can subscribe at all the usual spots like iTunes and Apple Podcasts. It's Spotify, Podchaser, WFPK.org, NPR.org, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Lyle Lovett. Legendary Lyle Lovett. Uh, we're going to be talking, in fact, going deep into his new record, 12th of June, uh, and his career as a multi-genre artist starting all the way back in the 80s. We'll talk about covering Nat King Cole, the recent retirement of his long-standing duet partner, Francine Reed, and being in a transitional point in his career. Uh, Lyle's also going to take us into the new album, which hits on becoming a father for the first time as he hit 60, and how that idea played out in the new material as well as his summer tour with friend Chris Isaac and their past hijinks. Uh, we'll do some Paul Reiser appreciation. You might remember Lyle Lovett uh, not only doing some cameos, but singing uh, the theme song to Mad About You. Uh, speaking of acting, we'll talk about his recent roles uh, alongside Donnie Wahlberg in Blue Bloods and the time he met Tom Waits during the Dead Man Walking concert. So let's do it. Discussing 12th of June, it's Kyle Meredith with Lyle Lovett. Well, Kyle, thank you uh, for having me on. I, you know, I've been called Kyle most of my life. I still, some of the older folks at church call me Kyle, and and uh, you know, just don't think twice about it. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I, I always enjoy talking to people named Kyle. I, and I wonder. I, I always ask if the reverse is true. Do people ever? It is call true. You Kyle? It's true in yeah. the set. One of my most favorite people in the world. It was a cousin of mine. She was uh, just a couple years older than me and passed away a few years ago. Um, was my best friend, and uh, and through my entire life, she wouldn't call me Kyle. She'd call me Lyle. She instead of Kyle Meredith, she'd call me Lyle Maurice. That was uh, so. <laughs> so and and of course, and 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 I mean this too. Every time she would say that, if it was your face that popped it, even in the back of my mind, you know. So I'm so sorry. Well, had I this orbit and uh, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't a bad thing. I assure you. I promise. All uh, right. We, one more question. One uh-huh. more question for you. Do you play music yourself? You play an instrument. You sing? Um, not so much these days. I've got a ukulele behind me, and I've got a guitar. And uh, I did the band days back in uh, in high school, and and uh, just out of high school, I did about eight years in a a regionally touring band, and um, you know, a bit of a rock thing. And uh, 
and then sort of fell out because uh, I was always obsessively passionate about music, but it wasn't always yeah. making the music. It was, you know, just about all those other things. And so, yeah. you know, the, really the, uh, the interviewing became the, uh, the thing that I fell into hardest and, and did that. But uh, every now and then I'll think of, a, I'll hear a song and I'll be like, I'll go, oh, I, I bet I, I bet that's easy to figure out real quick. And uh, I bought the ukulele the day my son was born and uh, in, uh, in 2008 uh or 2007 oh, nice. yeah yeah so uh so the day that we brought him home from the uh hospital there was a guitar store right across from where i lived at that point guitar emporium here in louisville and i walked across i've been there lately. that's a great store yeah you live you live close to guitar emporium that's really dangerous <laughs> it was i was over there a lot <laughs> they actually just closed for uh, it uh they did they closed and um sort of um put all their inventory in another shop across the river but uh it was sad to see them oh, go man. yeah ah. Oh, wow. Institution well, had been there forever. That's tragic. Well, I'm, I'm always curious, you know, my Brian, who you were talking to, Brian was in a band called I-9 that Clive Davis signed to. Was it was it CBS when Clive was at CBS, Brian? RC, RC, that's right. That's right. Clive, yeah, that's right. Um, and that, y'all made two records for them, right? And the, the full length release is the one Nathaniel worked on, correct? Nathaniel Kunkel. That's, I, I know Brian through Nathaniel Kunkel. We met around 2005, I think, right, Brian? But um, Nathaniel engineer, has engineered so many of my recordings, you know, and, and, you know, ended up, you know, ended up in the last few years because of the state of the, the recording business ended up, you know, getting a real job. And so I was I was really, really lucky that that Chuck Ainley, who did my third album uh, called Anna's Large Band, was willing to work with me on this one. And I loved working with Chuck. It was like coming home working with Chuck after all these years. That was we recorded Anna's Large Band in 1988. It came out in 1989. Uh, so it was just great sitting next to Chuck at the board and, and going through everything. The, 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 the small world we talk about in this industry brings us all together a lot of the time like that. So it's, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Chuck, Chuck Ainley has contributed to my life and the, and he's a wonderful recording engineer and I'm really proud of the music we've done together. But in 1987, uh, when I was doing the Pontiac album, Chuck was, Chuck was, Chuck was Jimmy Bowen's kind of first first pick engineer and Chuck was doing Reba McIntyre at MCA Nashville in those days, Reba and George Strait and the Oak Ridge boys, the, you know, the, the biggest acts on the label. And, and I was working in the, uh, you know, Jimmy Bowen leased the studio complex uh, uh, soundstage in Nashville, uh, just off, you know, just kind of just a little few feet off of 16th Avenue. And, and, um, Bowen recorded all his acts in the in the front stage of Soundstage, and and I was recording in backstage. It was just a smaller studio, and and uh, the front stage was interesting because the the mixing board was in the recording room. It was uh, there was no there was no separate there was no wall separating the control room from the from from where the band would set up. So it was a really direct relationship. But I on on our breaks in backstage, I'd walk up to front stage, and Chuck would be sitting there at the board late at night, comping tracks and, you know, putting things together. And I'd sit with him and he, I'd say, what, okay, show me what you're doing. And he said, he was always really generous about going through things. I remember the first time I, I heard this amazing sounding kick drum. I said, who is, who's playing that? It was on a Reba McIntyre record. And, and, and he turned it up so I could really hear it. And he said, that's Russ Kunkel. I thought, wow, wow. If I could ever play with Russ Kunkel. <laughs> and and uh, and but Chuck one 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 evening Chuck said you want you want a cup of coffee I said you have you have something he pulled out a thermos and he poured me, he poured me a cup of, and I and I I took a sip 
and it was unlike any cup of coffee I'd ever had. I said, what is this? And he said, it's a, he said, it's a, a Sumatra that he got from a, a coffee place in Nashville at the time called Bean Central. And, and uh, so from that day forward, I've, I've had only uh, Sumatra. I drink Sumatra coffee is my coffee of choice and, and a place in Austin uh, called Anderson's Coffee roast beans a couple of times a week and they do a dark roast Sumatra and that's do they that's ship? My, that's my go-to. So Chuck, they ship all over the country. They've been shipping to me on on the road. I'll I'll give them a hotel or a venue address, and there it is. And wow, life is you know, things are right in the world. Uh, but it's it's thanks to Chuck Ainley. My beans right now are from um, um, Joshua Tree. Um, oh, wow. I forget the. It's a, a place my wife found uh, out there. I'd I'd been uh, drinking some local beans here for a long time, but but she took a little solo trip out there and just fell in love with. Uh, one of the companies and, and had them shipped and um we should that's, find out well, the name for moments like magical, this you know <laughs> it's a magical place yeah that is a magical place that is a magical place um the, the first time i ever had to play in louisville i'm sorry i know you you probably have questions but I, and and if i i will stop talking eventually but <laughs> the first time i ever played in louisville was to go up to do the old lonesome pines special uh dick van cleek when dick van cleek produced that and and uh, he had us up at the Kentucky Center for the Arts in the in the small room there to mm-hmm. do that taping, and uh, we stayed at the Galt House and heard the Calliope and you know had the full on Louisville experience and and uh, I've always been excited to come back to Louisville every time and play. Well, how when was that? When when was that? Uh... That would have been in '87, I believe. It's so interesting, you know. I, and and I was thinking about this, you know, just as I was thinking about this interview and stuff, and and you know, you and back in the eighties, because, you know, for whatever genres men and coming up in the country world, I think in my head and a lot of people's head too, you know, like I've got REM over my shoulder and especially in the eighties and late eighties, you know, college rock being such a thing. And I think I've always probably considered you more in, in that world than the world of, of Reba. And I mean, again, which is also the stuff I grew up with in, in Litchfield, but uh, just, uh, just considering, I think what we think of in the pop culture sense of what the eighties were, and then realizing, you know, like the music that you're making there, you know, it, it comes out of that same world. It's it's always interesting the way history writes things like that, I guess. Well, you know, I went to Nashville in 1984 uh, because my friend Nancy Griffith invited me to sing sing a harmony with her on a record she was doing. It ended up on Rounder Records that Jim Rooney produced. And, and, uh, and I thought, well, as long as I'm going to Nashville... I may as well see what I can find out about the record business. And my my uh, my my mom and dad both worked for Exxon, the old um, they they met working for the old Umble Company uh, uh, in the in the fifties. And 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 uh, my dad's boss at the time uh, had, a, had his oldest son. My dad's boss's oldest son was going to school at Middle Tennessee State University in a, in a music business program. He was a he played in bands growing up in high school around Houston and decided he wanted to be to work in the music business. His name was Bo Bress, uh, and and Bo uh, Bo asked me, uh, you know, very logical question. He said, "Do you know about the performing rights organizations?" And I said, "Well, you know, I'm a, I'm an ASCAP member. I, I joined ASCAP when I started copyright, copywriting my songs a few years ago, back back in 1978 or 79." And and um, he said, "Well," he said, "Let me make a call for you at ASCAP." He said. Uh, I, I, I'm sure you can, we can get a meeting for you with a membership rep. And I said, do you think they'd talk to me? He said, well, it's, that's what the, that's, it's their job to talk to their songwriters. And so that's, that's how I started meeting people uh, and, and hanging out at the recording studio, at Jack Clement's recording studio with Nancy and 
her entire recording band and Jim Rooney. And, and uh, that was my introduction to the business. I, 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 in 1984, I was 26 and had gotten to the point that I was playing the same half a dozen or so clubs every couple of months and, and really had gotten to a point in my life that I thought, you know, I need to figure out if this can be a real job or I need to figure out what I'm really going to do and, and what, you know, what I am going to do for a real job. And so I was, I was grateful for the chance to go to Nashville, drove my truck to Nashville and, and uh, just had the best week there with Nancy and met all kind of people and received enough encouragement to keep coming back every few weeks. You know, ultimately, ultimately, it was through Jim Rooney uh, that I met the folks at Criterion Music in Nashville and then in Los Angeles. And they signed me to a publishing deal. Bo Goldson with Criterion signed me to a publishing deal. And, and, uh, and then, then they put me together with Dick Whitehouse and Curb Records. And Curb took me to MCA Records, where I worked with Tony Brown. And in 1984 in Nashville, I, you know, it, it was good timing, unbeknownst to me. I, it was, you know, I was, it's like, well, I, at the supermarket, I'll stand in the shortest line and it'll move a lot slower than the longer line. I, you know, at the airport and security, I've always, I never picked the right line to get through. That, that 1984 trip in Nashville was the right line uh, because Nashville was looking for something new. Nashville, Nashville what, I, what I heard all the record producers and publishers talking about in 1984 was the discrepancy between big radio hits and record sales. People were having big hits on the radio, but sales were not what they had been during during the previous wave of success, which was the urban cowboy era. And and the urban cowboy era had, had kind of played itself out by 1984. And Nashville was in an experimental phase. You know, I my rec, my first record came out the same year Steve Earle's first record came out. Uh, there were Dwight, Dwight Yoakam's record came out just a few months before that. Katie Lang was a new artist. Sweethearts of the Rodeo were, were a new artist. It, it was Nancy was a new artist. It was a time when not traditional country acts were being signed and released in, in Nashville. So, so the way I think about it now, I mean, I'm grateful for my first three records being released from MCA Nashville, and I'm always happy when people just know about me and I'm, I'm often referred to as a country singer but people who really listen to country music don't think of me as a country performer mm -hmm. it's it's really people who aren't as familiar with country music who do think of me as country yeah, but I like country instrumentation as well you know I mean most of my favorite artists that's that's how I would I, I'm saying me personally, you know, it's like, uh, again, you just look around my walls, Bowie behind me and everybody else, you know, these are the artists that, you know, all the genres, it's like, you know, the world's and, but that is interesting. Uh, I mean, um, you, the, you know, I think that's the universe giving you some cosmic balance right there. We're going to give you the shortest line in Nashville, but you're going to have to put up with the longest lines or, or the, the wrong lines every other time. And if you can handle that, then you're fine. <laughs> that's okay with me. That's right. It's a fair trade. <laughs> 
it, uh, of course, you know, I'll draw that into uh, the record at hand here, 12th of June, which let me give you the compliments is just fantastic. It's, it's, you know, yeah, thank you, you know, for, for us having to wait a little bit longer as it goes to, to get this one. I mean, uh, it, it does everything that I was hoping it would do, but you know, you do get those moments. I was so happy to see that you were uh, doing the, the studio version of a uh, straighten up and fly. Right. I think that's, I'd put that in my top 20 greatest songs of all time. Boy, uh, me too. Me too. You know, and that it, it was one of those. That's a song that I would never have approached, but but uh, uh, years ago, back in the late '90s, uh, and correct me if I've got my date wrong, but uh, Gary Marshall w did a film called Dear God and asked me to record that for for Dear God for the soundtrack, and so I did with you know with the guys in the band, and and um, it, so it kind of became it. It was. You know, Gary Marshall gave me permission to approach that great Nat King Cole classic, and other otherwise it would be you know I just wouldn't have. Uh, but but as you know, over the years it just became a song that that we and the band enjoyed playing. And the last few years I started doing it as a duet with Francine Reed to 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 have more for her to do in the show. And and that and G Baby and I Good to You, G Baby and I Good to You, I recorded with Matt Rawlings on his first solo record uh, for uh, for the MCA Master Series. Mm -hmm. And and Matt Matt picked that one and asked me to, to sing that with him. So an, a, a, another case of someone else giving me permission to do it. Uh, otherwise, you know, I just just wouldn't wouldn't have. And and so so to do those 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 two Nat King Cole classics, uh, you know, it's just it's great fun. I mean, there's nothing better than singing a great song and and feeling like you have a have a right to sing it uh, and and doing those with francine is just fun every every time and and so that putting those on the record was a was a a way to um well it was a way to to give give folks who'd been to the live shows the last few years uh, a recorded version of the of francine and francine's in my doing them and and uh, and also a great way to show the band and a great way to show you know, sort of the the breadth of of the large band and and uh, Charles Rose's arrangements and uh, so it was a, they were they were a good way to show the band and and Francine. So that was I I just felt like I had to do it. Maybe you would, but I don't know if you'd put yourself in the same box here. But uh, but but I thought as we're talking about the type of artists who you know are are sort of outside of genre a lot, uh, Nat was one of those for me. You know, because I was like, you know, what to me it makes sense as a fan that you would cover Nat King Cole because it seems like you guys are, you know, made from the same cloth. I mean, when you listen to him doing nature boy and, you know, and then compare it to something to, you know, straighten up. I mean, you know, just. You're, you're too young to remember, but I, you know, when I was a boy, I remember watching his television show with my parents and he, I just always loved him. I always loved him. His, he was so dignified and, and uh, you know, elegant, just elegant. And and we, I, uh, watching his his variety show was something I looked forward to every week. Yeah, just one of the most unique artists I think that's uh, that's ever been out there. So, so distinctive, huh? I, you know, and and reading reading those those uh, early Ray Charles liner notes and those Atlantic records, you're talking about how you know, Ray Charles wanted to play piano like Nat King Cole. And when you hear those instrumental records, like the like the genius of Ray Charles. Uh, the great Ray Charles, uh, you hear the instrumentals on those, you you hear it, you hear that kind of phrasing, you hear the hear those kinds of choices, and and uh, so so his yeah Nat King Cole's influence, you know, is great far and wide. <laughs> 
Yeah, you mentioned Francine on this, you know, your, your duet partner for all of these years. Did I read right that uh, that she's retiring from the road? She and and that that happened during the pandemic isolation. She decided that, you know, that that she just, you know, didn't really want to tour anymore. She's still going to play dates and she'll still do the occasional date with us, but I think the you know, we we work a lot when we go on tour. I mean, we play just because of the size of the band and all of our expenses we have to play five and six nights a week just to make sure it all comes out and and uh, that's you know it's a, it's a lot francine will be 75 this july and uh, and she's i think she's you know like 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 a lot of folks uh kind of figured you know readjusted or, or made adjustments in the pandemic and and uh you know figured out ways to do things, uh, uh, you know, a different, a different way. I, I worked with the same sound man and sound company from 1988 until this year, John Richards and his company concert production from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. John mixed every show I played from 1988 until uh, the beginning of the pandemic isolation until March through March 7, 2020. And John decided uh, during the pandemic that he didn't want to tour anymore. So that that it was as big a shakeup for me, an adjustment for me as 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 anything. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, coming coming through the the isolation and and going back out, you know things. I mean, we've all had to make adjustments, and and uh, and some folks have decided that you know they've you know that was enough for them. And and uh, I I I don't think I mean as we recorded the, tra the tracks in November of 2019, I looked forward to playing those songs with Francine and we recorded Peel Me a Grape as as a way to do a song we hadn't been doing yet uh, on stage and and uh, so I looked forward to be, to doing that uh, but, but at the same time if I had known in November 2019 that Francine would retire from touring I I think I still would have done those songs uh, because we had we had done them I, I I don't think it would have changed my choices for the album. I mean, it's all things considered, new father. As we get into a lot of this album too, and 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 band member changes and and crew changes. I mean, does it feel like you know this is a a time of transition uh, as much as it sounds like? It it, it does feel like a, a, a time of transition to me. I'm grateful for for uh, the the players in the band who still still want to play and have stuck with me. Uh, and and uh, and I'm grateful for everything John Richards and his crew did for me. But we we did a you know we our our first tour uh, in, since the beginning of the pandemic was was this uh, this winter and spring started on the 26th of February, and we went out with our uh, with a smaller group that that I call the acoustic group, and and uh, there were just five of us on stage. But we had, with the exception of our monitor engineer, we had an entirely different production crew, and that was, yeah, that was a, you know, it was a, it was interesting, you know. Yeah, there, there's, there's a real luxury in, in and comfort, in seeing the same people, you know, tour to tour, and being able to step right in and pick up right where you left off. And and this time it was it wasn't that way. It it all went smoothly, but it was a different experience. And and uh, we're working with you know we're working with with Claire you know the great the great sound company and their equipment was stellar and the folks that they supplied for us uh, to run their equipment were likewise stellar and so that was all a good experience but it was 
different. You know, I missed some of my old friends, especially after that many years. I mean, just the, uh, you know, the phrase well-oiled machine comes to mind, but uh, just to be able to. Well, that's true. You know, there's, there's so much, you know, there's so much, well, and it was, it was, it, it felt that way working with Chuck Ainley again, even after 30 years, uh, working with Nathaniel Kunkel so consistently over the years, Russ's, Russ's son, uh, uh, was, you know, we almost didn't have to speak to one another. We could just look across the room, you know, that nonverbal communication, the understanding, just knowing someone that well uh, is, you know, there's a shorthand you develop that, that, that uh, you know, is not the same when you're starting, starting over with people. Well, uh, I'll bring up uh, the parenthood because I know that's a big part of the story of, uh, of this record right here. And we, we kind of mentioned that. I mean, from one, you know, the lighthearted side, we get pants is overrated, which I, I think I, I figured out somewhere, heard somewhere that uh, a bit inspired by your, your kids' birthday suits uh, anyway. Yeah, well, I, I mean, exactly. I mean, just just the, you know, when you're you're just trying to get, just trying to get a two-year-old dressed, uh, you know, and, and, I fi- and finally you sort of give up and you think, well, maybe they're right. Maybe they've got it right. Maybe I'm the one who has it wrong. You know, for a lot of us around here, uh, you know, potty training just meant sending, putting the kid out pantsless in the yard and saying, this is, you figure this out. Yeah, this is. <laughs> we, we, ha- we didn't take that approach, but, but yeah, no, all of that, you know, I, and I know it's, it's, uh, I know, I, I know lots of other people have had children. <laughs> But you know when it happens when it happens to you, it does feel it's it's just such a revelation, and and uh, I've just enjoyed every second of it. I always thought I wanted to have children, but I had no idea how much I'd enjoy it, and just every bit of it. And I feel so lucky. I, I was home from the eighth of March. Our last show before the pandemic was on the seventh of March in Breckenridge, Colorado, and it was an acoustic group tour. And uh, I flew home on the 8th of March and, and was with my children almost every day and night for, for a full two years. And, and you know, they were two and a half then. And, uh, and uh, by the time I went back on tour, uh, they were four and a half. And I, that's, you know, that's something I really am grateful. That time is something I'm really grateful for. Yeah, blessings of what would other be otherwise, well, was a dark time in the world's history, you know, you get those small silver linings. Well, it, it was a dark time and, and continues to be a dark time. I think it's still very serious. And, and even though things are better, you know, I think, I think we still have to, to be cautious. And I, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited that, uh, you know, that they'll, they'll be five in June and eligible to get vaccinated. And, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll rest a little easier uh, when, when that, when that happens. And, and I know, you know, I know I've read, you know, as much as I could. And, you know, I know that they say children by and large do well with the virus, but I would still rather they not get it. And, and uh, my mom's 92. And so we, we were, you know, we were pretty careful during the, I mean, you know, didn't we, we still haven't eaten inside in a restaurant. Uh, and, and, uh, but we did, you know, uh, several months ago, we started getting takeout food and, and uh, just lately we started s- sitting outside and, all, every every step back that you that you take is uh, uh, you know it's, it's it's a great feeling and and uh, feels like progress. So I just hope I hope for the entire world that things can become more and more normal. Well, the other the other side of that le- that levity is the is the beautiful title track that you've written here with uh, with Twelfth of June. 
and you know songwriters do it all the time right you have you have a kid you have kids and and there there's the songs that go along with it but there's i feel like there's something special about this song a little bit different uh you know i'd love to know because it wasn't just that you said i'm going to write the song to my kids i mean it does take a wider scope angle to it at the same time um what was the thought that went into that i mean how, how did you approach I, you know, it well i you know i i really never considered my age until they were born until i knew they were going to be born and i started doing the math and thinking gosh by the time they're in kindergarten or in first grade i'll be you know i'll be 64 65 you know by the time they graduate high school if will I, you know will i get to experience that with them and so I, you know, I've written songs before from the point of view of the, of the dead guy at his funeral. And so this is just a, this is another one of those. They, uh, you know, the, uh, we have a family cemetery in San Jacinto County in Texas, and there's a, a little creek uh, that runs by the, it's a tributary to the, to the main creek. And uh, it runs by the cemetery uh, that we always played in as kids. And uh, that was always referred to, and my dad always called the branch. And, and uh, so that's, you know, really was just describing the setting and, and, uh, and that's, that's really what it is, you know, sort of being at the end of, end of your life and being grateful uh, for all of it. And, and, uh, and that's, you know, having children uh, has made me feel that way. You know, if, if, uh, uh, if nobody listens to this record and if nobody shows up at another show, uh, I, you know, I, I will still be happy with my life because of that. That line, uh, I will love you three forever, though I fly beyond this life. I mean, the best songs are the ones that just punch you right in the stomach when you're not really expecting it, you know, take the breath away. And that's, that's definitely one of those, those great moments. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I, you know, it, it was, it was about to be their first birthday and, and, uh, you know, so, Songs are, I, I'm not a terribly dis disciplined writer. I don't feel, uh, I'm not, I'm, I don't feel as though I'm the kind of writer that could write just anything. If I were given an assignment, I'm not sure that I would be able to come, come up with something. I don't feel, uh, uh, I, I admire songwriters who are great craftsmen, uh, and I don't, don't know that I am, uh, but I was just thinking about their first birthday, and I was out running errands and, uh, you know, sort of, sort of thinking of the melody and lines and, and, and the, my main thought was, uh, I don't, you know, I don't have time to work on this right now. And I, you know, I, I don't, don't even want to work on it, but it just kind of wouldn't leave me alone. And, and, uh, I've, yeah, I've made up other songs in that same way where you, where you think your first, my first thought is no, 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 I don't, I, I can't think about this right now. I've got serious stuff to do. Uh, but they just, you know, just kind of keep tapping you on the shoulder, keep, mm -hmm. you know, playing themselves in your head. And, and, uh, and so the, that, that's how that one happened. Yeah. I mean, I think you've written one of the, uh, the all time greats there and shout out to, uh, Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Uh, I, I live in Kentucky in the Midwest and allergies. Yeah, I suffer. When I say I suffer from allergies, I suffer from allergies and around here, everyone I know deals with allergies to some degree. And for a long time, I thought it was just something that I would have to live with, which is a real problem um, for anything, but especially when you're a radio host. It affects my voice, it affects my mood, it affects everything. And I feel like I've tried every, I've tried all the medicines. Some of them 
work better than others, but there's there's never a perfect one out there, especially because some of them take forever to actually work and some of them don't work at all. And then there's Astapro, the fastest solution to nasal allergy symptoms. It's what I use now and it's definitely changed my life. Astapro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Uh, Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. With all the pollen in the air, with all the dust around the the corners of the house, uh, even with uh, the allergies I have from my dog, Astapro has been the nasal spray that has helped me with all of my allergies. And it can help you too. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And then in, in that lineage that you're talking about too, there, you know, there's some folks I've, I've read about that, you know, was kind of comparing it as far as thematically as you're talking to family reserve. And for you, do you ever consider that uh, writing? I don't know if you call it a sequel song or just continuing that story. You know, I, 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 I didn't really think of it in that way, but I certainly see that that uh, analogy. And and but it's a it, it all all it is is just a, you know, it's a, a just a consistent emotion. Uh, and and uh, you know, it's it's it really wasn't designed to be a sequel. Uh, I, I uh, the other night uh, on stage in New York, I I, uh, I talked about uh, a song on the record called "Her Loving Man." You know, being sort of an, an update to "She's No Lady," but it, it it really wasn't intended to be. But it's you know, I think, you know, I'm just I'm the same person and have the same kind of point of view and and the same emotional response to a similar situation. So it's uh, in in that way, it's uh, I mean, I think it's the, the it's just the consistency that makes it seem like it might be. Uh, it, I mean, it's just a slightly different facet uh, to this you know similar idea um this one might be an obvious one but uh what inspired pig meat man because that's a fun one you know it's my my son i mean he's uh so far in his young life he's a vegetarian except for he loves bacon loves bacon well Elite it's a good bacon. thing to love i mean that's <laughs> <laughs> once again i feel i feel like you know he's he's right right <laughs> he's right but i write down a uh, little critics with uh, with truth bombs that's how i feel about kids too let's little critics with truth bombs isn't it the truth they they uh that's and that's one of my favorite favorite things about being a dad is is uh you do get the unvarnished truth always mm-hmm. yeah mine's uh mine's about to turn 15 this year and that's that's been the whole time right here it's like what did i know 
<laughs> but you know, you, you try to, they think of you as this all knowing thing. So it's hard to destroy that. You know, we're getting to the point where I think my kids figured that part out though. He's, he's got the truth now behind it. So it's, <laughs> you know, that is that is, yeah, you, you kind of don't want to ruin it for them. Do you? I know. And it just makes you feel, it just makes you feel great when they ask you a question you couldn't possibly know the answer to that they, that they think that much of you. And, and uh, yeah, you just want to do your best to not let them down. Huh? That's true. Well, um, you're going to take this out on the road. I see some co-headlining dates with Chris Isaac. There's a, there's a dream little bill right there for me, at least. Chris Isaac, Chris, uh, Chris is such a, you know, wonderful person. Uh, we, we, he was nice enough to do, I, uh, over the, over the course of the pandemic isolation, uh, I did 20 live streams uh, with with my friend Brian Whitman and his company Sear, and and uh, we did we did these live streams. We did 16 of them for a ticket, and and uh, and a 10 dollar ticket. And and Chris Isaac did one of those with me in October of 2020, and and he was such a joy to work with. The the, the uh, Preparing for a live stream, I did them. We did them. Brian and I did them every three to four weeks, and getting ready for the live streams. You know, sort of doing tech rehearsals and and just you know talking and talking about what we might talk about when we did the live stream. Talking about songs. Chris was so detailed, and and those conversations, those rehearsal conversations, were so much fun. You know, just to be able to just to be able to spend some time with an artist you admire. Uh, I I just enjoyed those immensely, and Chris was so detailed. Chris was um, I, I never asked anyone to send me a set list what what they might play in in our song swap format, but but the evening before, Chris just sent me. He said, "These are the songs I'm going to play, and in this order." And and the day we were we were that afternoon, we were getting ready uh, for the for the show that evening, and he texted me. He said, "Here's what I'm wearing." As a, as a, you know, here's what I'm wearing, and I thought, how nice, you know, and I, so I was able to, to, you know, to dress accordingly, and and uh, it was he was just very thoughtful and very detailed, and 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 on camera, you know, really loose and had a great sense of humor. We we'd run into each other a few years before. We've done some, you know, special events over the years. We did a, gosh, did a Johnny Cash special years ago, and and um, did a, a Buddy Holly tribute special together. Uh, for that Buddy Holly tribute record that Peter Asher produced, mm -hmm. um, but we uh, we were about to go on stage at the Mountain Winery in Saratoga, California, a few years ago, and in the wings I saw this guy standing standing in the wings holding a dog, and I looked and I thought, my goodness, that's Chris Isaac, and he was he was playing the next night at the Mountain Winery, and and uh, he he came to our show, I was shocked. And so pleased, and I and I went over to him, and we were about to go on. I mean, in a couple of minutes, I said, "I can't believe you're here. Would you be willing to walk out on stage at the beginning of our show? Would you be be willing to walk out on stage and act like, welcome people, act like you got your nights mixed up? Would you be willing to go out there?" And and he said, "Yeah, sure." Just like that, and he walked up. Hey, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. So happy to be back here at the Mountain Winery, and did this whole thing. And you could see the blank look on people's faces. It was just perfect. Oh, that's beautiful. Then, yeah, it was. And so he's got a wonderful sense of humor, and I'm really looking forward to 
to to play in shows with him this summer. We're we're doing I think twenty one shows across the summer. He's doing some of his own shows. I'm doing some. We're doing some of our own shows, but then we get together a few times uh, across the whole country. Yeah, his uh, his TV show I think was one of the, the you know one of the best little gems you know hidden little he's, gems and yeah. Oh, he's a great actor, huh? I mean that I mean to see him in the Twin Peaks films that, to, mm-hmm. that David Lynch you know saw that in him and he, you know he's he's just right on. Right have you guys never have you have you never been in the same thing because there's a missed opportunity like film wise well, that, <laughs> well I mean, we'll just have to do our own show this this summer we'll have to <laughs> come up with some 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 kind of something keep the cameras rolling <laughs> this is our this is our uh, this is our setup for streaming and and uh that was you know i mean to figure it really was a uh it was fun to get to perform uh, when we couldn't perform out in public uh, but it was also you know, it actually helped helped us survive, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I wanted to, I thought of a, 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 a ticket price. I mean, I, it, it, the most consistent, nice comment that that we always got on the, our live streams was, you know, was, uh, thank, thanks for doing the live stream, but we're eager to see you live again. And, and so I, I used to tell people it's, you know, it's not the same as playing live, but it's different. <laughs> and 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 be, be, because it was different, you know, it, because you're sort of alone in a closet or a garage, and talking to one person, there was an there was a, you know, con- there was conversation that wouldn't have happened if we were doing the show together in front of an audience. You know, there was more. It was more. It was more conversational. People tend to uh, something that's always surprised me. And because I was a journalism major in college, uh, people, if you ask people, if you ask somebody a question, they tend to answer it. Now, why? I have no idea, you know, and, (laughs) but uh, I, and the reason I'm not a journalist is because I would get to a point in interviews and I think to my, I think of a question, I think to myself, you know, that's just not any of my business. And I know you can't think that way when you're a journalist, but, but I, I would kind of stop myself. But but I really enjoyed the conversations I had because doing a, you know, a, a, a deal like this, I mean, you do kind of lose sight of the fact that, gosh, other people are watching it. And and uh, so I, I, I really enjoyed the conversations I was able to have. Uh, Chris, as you, as you and I were talking about, Chris was so smart and so funny and, and uh, everyone brought uh, you know, their own quality to, to those live streams and 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 we we i wouldn't have asked my friends for a favor would you do this with me but i was i but i didn't have to ask him for a favor i was able to call him up and offer him a gig and that was a great feeling because we split we we split after our expenses after after paying brian's company and our advertising expenses we just split down the middle what what we made from the show and and uh, i was so you know i was able to offer 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 folks a gig and that was i enjoyed that that's beautiful do you take that uh do you take that further like like you go down the road with chris i mean is there a moment where you guys can just stop in the middle of the show and talk to each other uh, in, in that way or you know i, I hope so we're, we're talking about we we've been going back and forth talking about songs that we might do together and and uh so so we definitely want that to be part of part of the show and and so i i can't imagine our not talking uh, I'd love to see that continue. I mean, that is that is the, the, I, I agree with you. One of the 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 coolest things about you know the last couple of years of being able to have um, 
that view of our favorite artists you know it's uh, intimate's an easy word to throw around and that can certainly be used here but it was different you know it was it was personal well it, it was and and uh, and i've you know the, the the folks that tuned in the folks that paid 10 bucks you know made a difference in my life and and you know helped me to i mean I, you know we had to reorganize some things and and uh, they really helped us survive and and i've you know they, they were uh, this past week, uh, when we played at the City Winery in New York, for we did uh, six shows in four nights, and there were people who shouted out from the audience, you know, thanks for the live streams, and that was a wonderful feeling. You know? Gave me a chance to thank them because that's it really re it really did help us. Six shows in four nights—that's like playing at the Fillmore back in the uh, '60s and '70s, right there, the evening show and the it night was, show. You know, it was. I was so glad that folks went. You know, that we were able to do that. But one show a night, we did two shows uh, each uh, Thursday and Friday night. And I, I'm terrible about cutting a show down. We, you know, we played, we played one show on Tuesday, one show on Wednesday. And so then when it got to Thursday and Friday, I thought, well, we can't, we can't really shortchange the folks, you know, who stepped up and wanted to come to the late show we can't we can't do that and we can't shortchange the first the folks that bought tickets first for the early show so uh, we did you know we did two two and a half hour sets on thursday night and friday night i mean wow. we were on stage literally on stage for five hours and the guys in the band were so nice about it i mean they were so nice about it but it was yeah the end <laughs> we, we felt like we'd been we'd done something at the end of end of friday night for sure yeah take that springsteen three hours <laughs> yeah. child's play right there that's <laughs> no that's great um i'm so looking forward to this uh, this series i really am and i quickly do want to ask uh, just about the other side of your life because uh you know acting's always been as we've talked about it along with chris you know such an interesting part of what you do one of my pandemic shows that i decided just to do the whole thing while i had the time was mad about you which of course you you got to do oh, the no theme kidding. song again. Yeah. And I had Paul Reiser on here not too long ago, actually, to talk oh, to him. Paul's great, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, oh, he's man. so smart. Gosh. Oh, one of the he's best so right there. So, so funny. You know, and he's, he, he and Michael McDonald have just done a book together. That's wonderful. Uh, it's not out yet, but it's, uh, it'll be out. But they, they wrote it together and, and uh, you know, Paul is just, he's just brilliant. So you've been popping up. I saw what, uh, Blue Bloods, your music's all over that, uh, that series from on, on, on Epics. What's next? I mean, do you stay active in that? Do you audition or is this usually somebody comes to you? You know, I, I am not an actor, but I occasionally get to play one on TV. The, 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 uh, I, I really enjoy acting, but it, but it was just kind of an accidental uh, thing for me. Uh, Robert Altman came to uh, the show we did at the Greek Theater in the summer of 1990 on the tour that we opened for Ricky Lee Jones and called me up after that. And, and so occasionally somebody thinks of me for a part. I, I have auditioned in the past, but I don't really, I don't, I haven't auditioned in years and years. And, and I don't pursue acting in the way that actors do. Just occasionally somebody thinks of me. Ian Biederman, who's a writer producer on Blue Bloods, was at that same show that Altman was at in 1990. He was a youngster. And, and he, you know, he made up this part for me in Blue Bloods. And, and so it's thanks to him that I've, I've been on that show a couple of times. It, it's great fun. I really enjoy getting to, I feel like I get, get to peek in the windows uh, of, of acting and, and see, see a little bit what it's like. It, it has given me a tremendous, tremendous respect 
for actors and what actors do. You know, the, the people who are, well, in, just in general, people who are really good at something make it look easy. But being on set and watching someone's process, you know, it's given me the, I mean, it's, it makes me realize it's not easy. There's a lot to it. They just are really great at it. Working with Donnie Wahlberg is, you know, he's he's so gifted. I mean, so, such a gifted musician. Uh, but on set, he's he's so, you know, so knows what he's doing and so helpful to me. And, and getting to do all my scenes with Donnie was just a, a surreal treat. I mean, he, he and I have gotten to be friends and, and uh, uh, you know, just wa watching someone who really knows what he's doing do that thing is is a privilege. And, and it's, just, it's just an education. I mean, there's so much to learn. Working on those Altman films, working with Don Roos and The Opposite of Sex, you know, getting to work with Lisa Kudrow and see her comedy up close and see her, how dramatic she could also be and just how deep her understanding of human nature is. I mean, that's, there's a real lesson, you know, a, le a lesson in, in life from all the talented people you get to work with. I feel that way when I'm on stage with, with my band, you know, standing on stage with Russ Kunkel. And uh, Will Lee played bass with us on these New York dates. Leland Sklar will be playing bass this summer. I mean, to be on stage with them and Jim Cox on piano uh, and Luke Bullough on fiddle, it, it, Jeff White on mandolin and guitar. I mean, Jeff's a veteran of the bluegrass world. It's, you know, and the great singers, Willie Green Jr. and Lamont Van Hook and Jason Eskridge. Uh, you know, it's in the horn section, you know, the Muscle Shoals. Two two of our horn sections are from the Muscle Shoals horns. Our alto player is Brad Lely, the professor of saxophone at the University of North Texas. I mean, he's just amazing. I met I met Brad in 1990 when I sat in with Harry Connick and his band. Brad was playing with Harry. The the, the Mace Hibbard is playing tenor. Took Harvey Thompson's place. The, Harvey got to the, got was one of the old Muscle Shoals guys and and decided he he was you know he's gosh Harvey's. 80 now, I guess, and, and uh, doesn't tour anymore. But uh, Mace originally from Waco, Texas. It, 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 it's a privilege to be on stage with such talented people. And for me, it's, you know, going to band camp every day. Getting to work in films the same way. I get to, it's like, uh, you know, a dream to just see what it's like. All of my favorite artists are the ones who are so artistically creative beyond the song. You know, as we mentioned, as mentioned, you and, and, and Chris, Isaac, Tom Waits, Bowie, whoever, you know, whoever we're talking about. I mean, just being able to be a fan and have all of that. I mean, uh, let me let me say this, Lyle, you spoil us. You really do with everything you do, the music and all of it. Carl, uh, you're gonna, yeah, you must have interviewed Waits over the years. Huh? I have never. I don't, I don't know that I'll ever get a chance to talk to Tom. I mean, he seems a bit, um, you know, beyond that at this point. Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, he hasn't released you and him released your last record the same year and he hasn't followed that up yet so i don't know he waits this gosh waits is one of my favorites i met him i met him only once it was a uh, at the uh dead man walking concert you know tim tim robbins film dead man walking with, with sean penn uh, uh there, and there was a there was a night at the Shrine Auditorium uh, concert, and Eddie Vedder was part of it. But Waits, I, I I went down to his dressing room, and 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 he, he he was so cool. I mean, he 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 extended his hand. He said, uh, "People tell me that we uh, uh, look similar, 
uh, I'd just like to apologize. That's what he said. It's very sweet. That's a nice line to get. That seems like a very Tom Waits line right there. That's a uh... man. So cool. Yeah. And what about Bowie? You ever meet Bowie? No, I never met Bowie either. That was, no, um, yeah, that's was t- probably top of my list, but he was already kind of retired by the time I was yeah. doing these. So what's that like? I, you know, I, when I turned 50, I was, I was, there was a wonderful journalist who supported me my whole career named uh, George Varga in, at San Diego Union Tribune. And, and George was doing it. I was doing an interview and he I was turned, just turned 50. I'm 64 now. I turned 50. He said, well, what about retirement? When, when, when you've been thinking about it? And I said, no, George, I'm not, no, I can't retire. No. I said, finally, I said, you know, if getting to do something you want to do that you love to do every day of your life uh, is what you do when you retire, then, then I've always been retired. And, and, uh, and then at the end of that interview, he said, well, I've been asking everybody this lately, how would you like to be remembered? And I said, okay, you're first, you're trying to get me to quit. And now you're trying to kill me off. What's the deal? What's the deal? And, and uh, uh, so I, I, I said, I have, I'm going to have to think about that. And, I, and, and so I called him back about 10 minutes later. I said, okay, I've got it. He said, all right, how would you like to be remembered? And I said to him, you know, I want him to say, he was really old, so <laughs> that's how it's going to be written. You know, he was really old. I, I uh, you know, I hope I hope that's true, and and uh, I'm just, you know, I'm grateful for this life and career that uh, you know that I've gotten to have. I would never have dreamed in 1976 when I was 18 years old and first started playing for as a job anywhere that would book me i would never have or even in 1986 when my first album came out that in 2022 i'd be able to continue you know still doing it i just wouldn't would never have thought that and i'm i'm just grateful well congrats on a career that has been like a full-time retirement from the very beginning thank you that's uh that's not a bad way to do it right there i, I completely <laughs> agree with you it's uh that's yeah um lyle seriously this record is so good. Uh, the fact that you're in 2022 and making some of your best music that you've ever made, uh, I think that just goes to show, you know, what kind of artist you are. So uh, thanks for continuing to do that. And, and man, this well, has been thank you, so Kyle. much fun. Thank you. And thanks to all of the, everybody that contributed to the record. I mean, it's a, it's a collaboration and, and uh, uh, there's not a greater privilege than to, to work with talented people every day of your life. Well, I think that concludes our, uh, our time here. So this has been, uh, this seriously, it's been such an honor and a joy. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time for it. Thanks. Thanks for help, helping us get the word out about the record. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to meet you and, and uh, just continued good luck to you. Uh, have fun with, with Joe Scarborough and Morning Joe. That's <laughs> it's one of my favorite programs. Right on. I'll make sure to, to tell him you're saying hi. And, uh, yeah, please and, uh, do. Yeah, once things calm down again and we'll get some music back on there, hopefully we can get you back on the show as well. So I'd love to, that, that, love to do a whole thing on set with everybody. That would be really fun. Yeah, cool. Joe's tall. He's taller than I expected he would be. Yeah, and, you know, I don't know, I I, I don't know what what he's drinking, but uh, he he looks younger than me right now. That's that's bothering me he because does, I think he's about ten years older. So he does look great. It's hard to sing on the same mic with him. <laughs> uh, thank you, Lyle. Thank you, Brian, too, for both making this happen. Um, hopefully, we'll see you both around uh, sometime real soon. Brian, cut out all my stuff and just send Kyle his his part. It'll be better. Just the parts where I compliment him. Keep that stuff. That's <laughs> thank you. Thank you. 
And my thanks to Lyle Lovett. That was uh, such a fun interview. Uh, big thanks to you as well for checking out the episode. Again, the uh, the new album is called 12th of June. You definitely got to check that out. And please do subscribe to this series since you made it this far so you can keep up with all the interviews that I put out every single week. New ones every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to keep you up to date on your favorite uh, artists and uh, discover some new ones as well at iTunes and Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, anywhere you get your podcast from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. Then after that, head over to WFPK.org where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, of music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at wfpk.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith. Do hope you like and follow along. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. You know, we get fired every gig, every every show. We get fired, have to start over every day. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.